You're listening to episode 16 of Scaling Up. Welcome to Scaling Up with personal brand and freedom stylist, Elizabeth Hartke. Each week, Elizabeth brings you the tools you need to create a life of true freedom and fulfillment by scaling and monetizing your personal brand. Get clarity, become a leader in your field and make an impact that pays. Grab your favorite healthy smoothie or beer and let's get to the show. I might be biased, but I think this episode might be one of the greatest episodes we've had yet and possibly will ever have. And there's good reason for that. And I'm going to tell you why. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Micah Christian. He's a former teacher turned singer, and he's the lead vocalist of Sons of Serendip. Now, you might be familiar with them if you have watched America's Got Talent. On season nine, they were one of the top acts and recently were on America's Got Talent, the champions competitors. Back in 2014 is when they made their first appearance there. But since then, they've been touring the country. And I can't even begin to put into words the level of talent that these four men have. Micah is the lead vocalist. And when he sings, I'm pretty sure even angels' knees go weak. I admire this man not only for his second-to-none voice, like, just stay with me here for a second, but the example he is to all of us. As a son, which you'll hear more about today, have your tissues ready, as a husband, and as a leader in pursuit of his dreams, he really represents entrepreneurship through a different channel that maybe some of us can't fully connect with as far as being a musician, but wait till you hear how he has forged forward through this journey. Anyone, anyone will be able to relate to this and it will speak to you in ways you can't even imagine. And he's making such an incredible impact in the world by using his God-given talents, which we talk about all the time, use those gifts through music, but also through his giving heart. And I want you guys to hear more of his story today about how he just got off his butt and made it happen. And it took a lifetime of cultivating this dream. And now it's his reality. And bonus, you guys, if you listen to this episode, I may or may not have gotten the Micah Christian to sing for us. Yes, that's right. Sing for us. And I sat here just goosebumps and tears, like just unbelievable. And Micah is a dear friend of mine and a total champ for humoring me when I asked him to do it. And I totally put him on the spot. I just feel so blessed to have this man in my life. He's so incredible, such such a light in this world. And you guys need Micah Christian in your life. So you have got to listen and share this episode with the world. It will inspire you in ways you could never even begin to imagine. Okay, so today we have Micah Christian on our podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here, Micah, and I have to tell people how we met, and you have to help jog my aging memory, okay? okay yeah. All right. So freshman year at Stonehill, I'm scared, totally out of my element, and I go into my first day of class. What was the class that I came you know, in? Actually, I, I don't remember the class. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'd say the thing that I remember the most was that I found out pretty like shortly that you were a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, and, and you're a Michigan fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I remember being like, nah, I don't know if this is going to work. Yeah. <laughs> well, I walk into whatever that class was, like, you know, totally out of my element. And I just, we're all greeted by the most warm smile I have ever seen. The Micah Christian is there. You were a TA in the class, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of like a leadership thing, like getting freshmen acclimated to college life and it ended up being my favorite class I ever took because I don't think we ever had homework. So that meant, <laughs> or, or tests. So it means I did really well in the class. And it was really easy to be a TA for that class. So. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and so my first impression of you was your incredible smile and just making us all feel so welcome. And you and I just kind of became friends over time at Stonehill. And I, you gave me a reason, my mo- makes my mother happy, because you gave me a reason to keep coming back to Sunday Mass, to hear you singing in the choir and being a part of that. And just, you're such a talent. And despite your passion for Michigan, which I won't hold against you too badly, <laughs> it's been awesome to follow your journey over the last few years, especially with Sons of Serendip, which is 
just the coolest thing. Your music, the talent you guys have, the light you shine into the world is just second to none. So thank you for being here on Scaling Up with us. And I'm so excited to pepper you with questions. Thank you. It's good to be here. So you have to fill us in. A lot of our listeners are already fans of yours. I put out some polls and stuff that who has watched America's Got Talent and seen Sons of Serendip on there or who listens to their album. And I got a lot of people with great feedback, of course, no surprise there. But for the people who don't know you, I want them to get to know your journey. But before we get to the end part of where you're at today, tell us more about you. You know, you grew up in Randolph, Mass., you're a Massachusetts boy. Yep. And what was the journey to get to that place where you realized you had a passion for music? Like, what was it like growing up in your home? Was there a lot of music in your home? Is that what led you there? Like, what was it? Yeah, so I started actually getting into music at around two. So I was going to a church, and at this church, they had uh, an incredible percussionist. And I remember being inspired at a really, really, really young age. And so I asked my parents if I can get drum lessons. So they tried to find a teacher that would teach someone that was young and nobody was willing to do it. And so after church, I would just sit at the drums and they would just let me just play and play and play. And so I, I, I fell in love with the drums first. And then when I was eight years old, I got into the piano and started taking uh, piano lessons. I enjoyed it for a little while and then just sort of wanted to do like create my own music. So I kind of just fell out of love with, with learning, you know, theory and just started creating on my own. And then when I was 12, I got into singing. Um, my chorus teacher brought me aside and like it was after one of our chorus classes. And she's like, I think you have potential as a singer. And that was the first time I had heard that before, because before that it was like all sports. And, um, and that was like my thing. Like I loved sports. And so I'd never heard from anyone that they thought that, you know, I could actually sing. And so um, that was surprising, but she was willing to work with me uh, after school for a couple of years. And she, I developed a passion for singing, started auditioning for choirs. And I had a lot of support from my, my family because my, I come from a very artistic family. My dad's an artist. Uh, he does, you know, painting full time. He's a muralist and um, decorative painter. And my mom, so she's a nurse by trade, but she's also a singer too. And so, and she comes from a background of like a whole family of singers and musicians. And so I had a lot of support from them to continue on in music. And then I got to Stonehill, didn't plan to study, like I, I just studied a few classes in music, but a, a comm major mm -hmm. and a minor in sociology. And I got involved in, in the choirs and anything that was music related, I, I tried to get involved with. And just did a group called Hyena Sound on Cape Cod. And it was 10 guys. We all um, lived together for like every summer of, of my college life. And we rehearsed like six to eight hours a day for the first three weeks of the summer, then performed like 90 to 100 shows for that summer. And we did that each summer. And that was life changing for me because uh, I really got a chance to dive deeper into music. And yeah, and so I, I guess like that's a little of the background of music, but I didn't think that I was actually going to be able to do it full time. Mm -hmm. um, I, it was a dream that I kind of buried deep in my heart. And I, I never thought that it was something that I really could pursue. And so I went, you know, a number of different ways, um, but eventually landed right back where my deepest passion is. That's amazing. And something you said in the beginning, it totally... Uh, strikes a chord with me as a mom. So we, we have a three-year-old. Our oldest is Jack. He's three and he's so musically inclined. Like, I don't know where oh, he gets it. It's yeah. not from his mother, I don't think. But it's funny because we've been searching around since he was two, trying to find someone to teach him lessons in something. Like he loves the drums. He already has an ear for the piano. He's trying to pick up my guitar and play, which is really hard for a little kid with these tiny little hands. And he loves to sing. And we can't find anyone that they're like, oh, we'll come back in a few years. And I feel like we're trying to cultivate that passion and really just let him steer it where he wants to go. So that gave me the inspiration to find someone who's willing to 
to help him do it a little better than we can because we don't know how to teach him those things, but it starts so young. So let's, let's talk about that for a second because so many of the people listening in, they haven't taken that leap of faith yet. They have, they have a passion or they have a skill or they've had an experience in their life that makes them an authority figure in something, or they know they want to get out of the grind of the day to day, but they, they are, loaded with fear of what that journey is going to look like. And your journey started at the age of two. I think so often we think we're going to do that one thing and it's either going to make it or break it, right? Like I'm going to try out for this chorus and either I'm going to make it and that's going to be my big break or I'm not going to make it and I'm going to fail and I'm going to go a different path versus looking at the fact that this journey is something you've chipped away at your entire life. Right. So. Talk to us a little bit about some of those struggles along the way, reminding the people listening, like it hasn't all been gravy. Like you've had bumps in the road to get to where you are today. Yeah. So I think part of my issue that I had with why I didn't think that I would ever do music full time was because I, I, I spent a lot of time comparing myself to other people. And I spent a lot of time just wrestling with self-confidence issues. I thought that I could sing and and I enjoyed singing, but uh, when I would hear other singers, I'd be like, oh man, I can't do what they can do. Or I hear other musicians, I'm like, man, they know so much more than I do. And that lasted for a good seven years. Uh, I was doing very different things. After I graduated from Stonehill, I you know, traveled and um, did some volunteer work and then came back and studied theology in grad school and then did more traveling after grad school, but never thought that music was where I would end up. But I, I had a, a moment when I was in Peru with my wife, we were volunteering and uh, working with this Catholic organization. And they, so there was a, a moment halfway through the year where I had a, a pretty intense conversation with uh, the, the head sister of the, the community. And she said something to me, cause I, I was asking her, I was like, you know, you know, we're, we're here, we're working, you know, you don't really give us any feedback on how we're doing. You don't tell us we're doing a good job. And, you know, I was like, so is our work of any value to you here? And she said uh, something that at first made me really angry, but then after I really thought about it, it was something that I needed to hear. And it actually is what opened me up to bring music back to my life, like to the center of my life. She was like, Micah, you need to stop waiting for me to tell you you're, do- you're doing a good job and to pat you on your back. She's like, you need to look within yourself, find value in your own work and just do it and just do it. So when I heard that, yeah, I was angry. <laughs> but, um, but afterwards, when I really thought about it, I started thinking about all the things that I was waiting for other people to tell me, you know, was valuable rather than looking within myself, finding value in it and then just doing it because I love it. And music was one of those things. And so at that point, I just started, I made a decision that I was gonna bring music back into my life as a central part of my life. So I grabbed the guitar, I started writing music again. I called Cordero, who's the pianist in the group. Mm -hmm. And I told him like, when I get back, we're gonna make music. Like this is what I wanna do because I love it. Not for fame, not for anything else other than just because I love it. And it's, and it's something that I believe is mine to share. It's like, it's my responsibility to share it. Like that's why any of us are getting given any of the gifts that we have. And so, yeah, and I did a lot of reflecting during that year. That year in Peru was probably the most difficult year that Joss and I had had, but it was one that we grew the most in so many different ways. And we felt a lot stronger um, when we left that year. And I'd say one other lesson um, that I got from that was oftentimes what holds us back is that we think, you know, there are going to be people out there who criticize our work. And, you know, there's always going to be, you know, folks that, you know, that they don't find value in what you do. And that's okay because it wasn't meant for them. But Mm -hmm. there are certain people that, and this is something that I reflected on that year, was like there are certain people that need what we give, that need what we have to offer. And so, our responsibility is to share it and let it find the eyes and ears and hearts that it's meant to find. But don't try to please everybody. Just share it because you love it and share it because it's yours to give. And so mm. that's, those are the, the lessons that I learned throughout that year that I think 
that actually, yeah, that helped to bring music back to become a more central part of my life. Mm, um, that's so, so powerful. It's, I don't know if it's like the uh, newly postpartum hormones or what, but it like gets me choked up to think about the fact that there are so many people out there with this gift or this purpose that God placed on their hearts that the world isn't experiencing because of that fear or that comparison. And I've experienced it. I don't think I would imagine most people experience it that ultimately do take that leap of faith is they have to get over that hurdle of, yeah, but there are already other people out there singing. Like they don't need my voice or there are already people out there that wrote that book. They don't need to see my message. And to remember that we are the only ones that can bring our light into the world. And I, I love that nun for kicking your sorry butt because (laughs) it made a tremendous impact and it, it it wasn't exactly uh, tactful or sweet, but it was, it's real. And it's so true. I think we sit back and we need that validation to move forward. And we're especially in a world today where everything's on social media and we dictate our worth on how many likes it got. Like how many hearts did that picture receive? (laughs) Right. And we have to bring that gift into the world, even for that one person that needed it. And if it hits more than one person, that's, that's a bonus. Right. And that's so powerful. So in experiencing those things, then you realize, okay, music has to be back in my life in a big way. We're going to do this. It isn't for the fame and fortune. It's because I know that I have to bring this gift forward. And you do that. So there, there's a period of time where you where you guys start making music together and you're not full time with it yet. So what did that period look like and how and when did you know that it was the right time to go full time? Cause I know there are a lot of people that will relate to that on here because they're like side hustling as they're also working their full time job. And when is it the right time? So walk us through, you know, both periods of time. So when I got back from Peru, I reached out to Cordero and we got together just started making music together. And at that time, I was teaching ESL in a private English school in Cambridge. So, yeah, so that's how I was making ends meet. But during that time, you know, I was auditioning. Like, we had just decided to audition for America's Got Talent on a whim and had no expectations. And I was committed to, like, it's like, no matter what, I'm going to make music. So I'll do what I have to do. If I need to work, you know, another job, I'm going to work another job just to make ends meet. And um, thankfully, you know, I do love teaching too. Like I had fun with that too. But I just, I just knew that no matter what, I'm going to make music. And so like that commitment stayed with me. So it's like, even though I had this other job, it's like, I would always carve out time every day to making music. And around that time, we were also auditioning for America's Got Talent. We didn't hear back from them for like three weeks. And when we did, we still had no expectations. But throughout that time, you know, as we kept going further and further into the show, I knew that something was going to change for us, but I didn't know what that was going to look like. And so, yeah, that entire time I was still working and putting food on the table. But like, I, I still like, I think in my gut around that time, I, I did know that something was going to be different, you know, mm-hmm. as, as we kept moving further and further into the show. After we finished in, like, we ended up placing fourth that season. Season nine. This is season nine. Yeah, 2014. Loved it. Thank you. We all just made the commitment that the only way that we're going to make this work is by just diving in, all in, and just seeing what happens. So, yeah, at the very beginning, you know, we had no money coming in. (laughs) But, like, we knew that, like, the only way, like, this was our chance and, you know, we were put into a unique opportunity to have that, that chance like that. And so because we knew how special that moment was, we would just decided to just go all in and see what happens. And it's worked out. It's been five years. We actually just celebrated our fifth year anniversary since we sent in the audition tape to America's Got Talent. That is so cool. I love that. And I loved watching you guys on the show. And I want to hear a little bit more because I know that our audience will kind of geek out on this too. Just like the experience of being on America's Got Talent. Like, what was that like? That was, that was exciting. You know, <laughs> so we got the call three weeks after we sent the audition tape and they asked, 
you know, if we wanted to actually, no, they at first asked for more information from the, like about the group. Mm-hmm. And so we sent them like a nine page bio <laughs> about each member of the group. And then they wanted to hear more music. And we kept sending them song after song after song. And eventually we landed on somewhere only we know. And, and then they were like, all right, we like this one. Do you want to do this in front of the judges, you know, for national TV? And that moment was crazy. We said yes. And actually getting to the show, I'd say there weren't a lot of nerves being on the stage because we had put a lot of time in with preparation. Each one of us had our own day jobs that we were doing at the time. And so we didn't, sometimes we didn't start rehearsing until like 10 or 11 at night and we would go until two or three in the morning. But we, we were committed to putting in those hours to make, to making sure that we were prepared so that when we got on the stage, you know, it was just like, this is what we've been doing in the rehearsal you know, we're going to do right here. And before that, we only had, we only had one other performance for like 20 people. And so like to be on that stage in front of 3000 live audience members, and then knowing that it was going to be shown to millions, we knew that we just had to be prepared for it. So yeah, so we got through that, that first round and we're like looking at each other, like, guys, is this a group? Like, is this a real thing? (laughs) Um, Because before that we weren't even a group. It was just, you just froze. So yeah, so we were like, all right, well, let's just see what happens. Let's see what happens. And we kept getting further and further into it. And um, the excitement kept growing and growing. And I'd say like probably the most nerve wracking part of it was just as we kept getting further and further in, there was less and less time for prep. So yeah, so we were getting song after song thrown at us. And, um, and by the time we got to the end, I mean, we were completely exhausted and the nerves were starting to you know show up a little bit more. So at the end of that season, I remember just feeling like, you know, we gave everything we had to this and we placed fourth, which was exciting. Uh, we had no expectations going into it, but now we knew like it's time like to really go all in. Cause what we've compared it to is like, you get an opportunity to perform in the Super Bowl, right? It's like, that's one thing, but if you really want to stay in the league, there's a whole nother training that you have to do in order to get ready for that. And so we had that in mind as well um, as we were going through the process. So it was exciting, but a lot of work. (laughs) And you just wrapped up America's Got Talent Champions, right? Yeah. So Mm -hmm. how, how, what was that experience like? Was it different than the first time having been on that stage before and experiencing it before? That experience was much different. I think this time... Uh, because we we had been performing all over the country for the last four years, and right. uh, and I think you know we had time to build up our confidence, also to know our style a little bit more, like know a little bit more about who we are. And so when we got to that stage this time, it was like, oh yeah, just this is a normal crowd. We've performed in front of so many crowds for the last four years, so just go out there and you know just perform like we're performing in front of anyone else. And yeah, and I feel like we were more comfortable, like even with the interviews and, you know, the things that we did backstage, like everything just felt more relaxed and we just had a good time and we had no expectations. So, and you could tell you guys, like you could see the difference between back in 2014, seeing you guys on America's Got Talent. And then this time there was this sense of confidence that I felt like you guys brought to the stage. And I just felt like your light shined brighter because of that confidence. Like you, you were probably having to think about all the things less because this was natural to you and you guys had put in the work over time. And that's, that's what I want people to remember is they might have only seen you on that national stage and said, Oh, well, you know, it comes naturally to them. Look at what they're doing. Well, what was happening between 10, 11 p.m. at night and 2, 3 in the morning, all those nights staying up and practicing and putting in the work and making that commitment that you said you guys had to make, like, okay, we are going to give it everything we have. And to be able to, no matter what you finish, I mean, to finish fourth is incredible. You could have finished farther down the road, last place. If you know in your heart you've given it all you have, you can finish at any place with a really big smile on your face because you know you gave it everything you got so of course they have to ask like did you meet anyone really who have you met you guys got to open for john legend didn't you at some point okay so like who are some of the people that you've gotten to meet 
Let me fangirl for a minute here. Like, <laughs> John Legend, check, definitely one. Any other Day really? Leno. Jay Leno, okay. Yeah. So, he's a Massachusetts guy too, right? Yeah, he is. Yep. So any yeah, any other? Yeah. Um, so who else? Morgan Freeman. Oh yes. Well, because we performed at the at Creative Emmy Awards as mm-hmm. well, and so there were a number of people that were there that we were just hanging out with, and that was a different experience. <laughs> like sitting on the red carpet and like, I remember having a moment there where I was like, I can't believe this is happening. Just like a couple of years ago, I was in a classroom and now I'm sitting here. Oh, that's Heidi Klum. Like what in the world? <laughs> like so crazy. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, we, we've met a, a lot of different people, especially when we were at the, the Emmys. Like that was, there were, there were a lot of different folks that, that we met there. And we, yeah, we took pictures with people and stuff. And, so I don't know. <laughs> you have to. You got to do yeah. it while you got the chance. I would like to say something, though. Yeah, please. Okay. So when we got off the show, a lot of people, when they see you hit, you know, a certain level, they assume that after that, things come easily. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, like, because we were a finalist on America's Got Talent, it would be easy to think, oh, yeah, now, of course, you're going to have a career. For me, it, there were a lot of different things that started to come up. Uh, well, one, there was a lot of just uncertainty about what, what was to come. We had no idea. We didn't even have a show put together. Because on, on the show, all you do is 90-second versions of the songs. And so really, that's all we knew was <laughs> versions of the songs. And so um, I remember that just before we were about to do our first performance, it was only going to be 45 minutes long. But for me, that, that was a little bit stressful because I, I, there were a lot of thoughts about like expectations, expectations that I was putting on myself, but also expectations that I felt like others would have of me and, you know, of, of the different members of the group, especially when you're coming off of a show like that. And so I had put a lot of pressure on myself and felt feelings that I hadn't felt before when we came off the show, because once we got off like America's Got Talent is no longer guiding us. And so we had to figure out, we had to make a lot of decisions during that time about management, about how we're going to build a show, about me as a front man. Like I'd never been a front man of anything before. And like I've done a song or two in the middle of a longer performance of something, but like I had never actually led an entire concert before. I, I had never done that, that up until that point. And so I had anxiety and all kinds of feelings that I had never felt before. Waking up at like two, three in the morning and just like with these rushes of anxiety and insecurity. And that lasted for a good, I think, eight months right after we got off the show. And, um, and I remember just feeling like, man, like, how, why am I feeling this? I don't feel this. Like, what am I doing? And, and it just, it wouldn't go away um, because I kept thinking like, can I do this? Is this really the path for me? And I think... It wasn't until I went to the, this, this workshop at the Omega Institute, and it's the this Bobby McFerrin um, circle singing workshop. I love and it Bobby was, McFerrin. It was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was life transforming. Like, it, it was so incredible. Uh, it was all improv during that week. And I, I mean, I signed up for it on a whim. I, I had known about him, but I didn't really know, you know, how deep, you know, his, his musicality, but also his spirituality was. And during that, that week, I felt like a burden was lifted off my shoulders where, I mean, he wouldn't even use the word performance. He would talk about it more of as, as sharing a moment with friends. And so I, I started to take on that mentality. And I remember after going through that week of just like, you know, sharing music from the heart and in a, in a space that wasn't that like, it's a very non-judgmental space where the he like he really encourages people just to dive deeper into their heart and just share what they have. And it's all improv. Like, so we're talking about like uncertainty, you know, to the max. And I had to face those fears, you know, constantly throughout that time there. And then by the time I was done um, with, with the workshop, I felt complete liberation. And, you know, after that, the performances started to get better and better and better. And my fear went away. So, yeah. (laughs) That's so powerful because first of all, 
I didn't realize that in doing that workshop, Bobby McFerrin was like there. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Huge, huge fan and like growing up with his music. It was such a special part of my childhood, but that's awesome. But it's so true because everything is perspective. You know, how you were getting those bouts of anxiety during the night, it was just how you were envisioning what was to come. And he just flipped the script. You know, he gave you a different lens to view your same experience you were having, but viewed it through a different lens. And I've, I've had, uh, that's one of the key reasons I tell people all the time, you have to have a mentor. You have to have someone who's been there before you that's, you know, a hundred steps ahead of you guiding you through that process because to try and navigate it on your own, it's going to cost you time, money, stress, and all, you know, your sanity half the time. So it sounds like you found that in him and in that workshop. And I, I think that's amazing. So speaking of people like Bobby McFerrin, who are some of your the people that have inspired you the most in the the music space? Bobby McFerrin's probably the number one. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, he, he would be number one. And I think part of it is because, so I had heard a, an interview with him, uh, with Krista Tippett, a show called On Being. And uh, this interview spoke to me. Uh, I, I, I saw that he was coming from a deeper place. When he would talk about music, it, it was you know, from a very centered and contemplative space. And I hadn't heard that before. I like I hadn't heard any, you know, musicians talk about the music from such a, a deep place. And so um, I felt really, really inspired by by him. And uh, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. What that's who, who, what I wanted to become was, you know, someone that was sharing not to try to be impressive or to come from a, really just a place of love. And I feel like that's, that's where, where he comes from and, and to, to use, you know, what I have to help to make the world a little bit better. Oftentimes musicians can get caught up on, Oh, did I hit every note? Did I say everything exactly the way that I'd hope to say it? But, but in, in the end, it's really just, you know, just share and whatever comes out, let it be. And cause it's, it's bound to touch somebody. Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say, yeah, I, I got a, I've gotten a lot from working with Bobby McFerrin yeah. and learning from him. Yeah. The other artist yeah. I would, would throw in there is India Ari. Oh, heck um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love India Ari. Yeah. yeah. I, just, I remember I, I when songwriting. she first came on the scene or at least first came on my scene. I don't know when she became popular to everyone, but I just remember being so inspired by both her voice and, and I'm not even, you know, I'm not in the music space, but there was something she transcended just, Oh, I like that song. Like there was something that she would like hit me when she would sing. So, so incredibly talented. So with what you've learned from these artists and, and obviously what Bobby McFerrin has taught you how have you applied that in your touring like you're touring now and by the way I'm kind of freaking out because right before this interview Michael's like Liz Micah and Sons of Serendip they're coming to Wisconsin in May and I'm like yeah (laughs) and he's like okay well like talk to Micah we're hosting them at our house we're having a dinner with them we're going to the concert I'm like all right I'll tell him but so we'll see you in May apparently out here awesome hopefully the the world has thawed in Wisconsin by then and we get some sunshine, but you're touring now. Like that's a big deal. You're, you're also married. So like, how are you balancing these two worlds and is touring a stressful thing or something you look forward to? Like, do you guys all get along all the time? How does it work? Yeah. You asked a question at the beginning. Oh yeah. It's kind of how you're, you're taking what you're learning from those people that have inspired you mm-hmm. and kind of applying it now to, your experience as a musician, whether it, you know, be on stage all the time or, you know, inter- I guess it's a two-part question. You can answer it however you'd like. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd say with Bobby McFerrin, one of the things that, that I've learned is, to, is having a rhythm to my day so that like it, it offers a little bit more stability, I guess, like in the middle of chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, I'm not really good at this, but uh, one thing that, that I've been hoping to do especially this year is just to take time in the morning and 
you like just really make it sacred time where it's like, I'm going to read and journal every morning. And, you know, I try to wake up at like five, five thirty. I haven't been that good at it, but um, like lately, but um, it's something that I'm, I'm shooting for is to wake up about five, five thirty and develop a rhythm that would help with just having some stability. It's almost like something I can rely on every day, even though like the rest of the day might be a little bit chaotic. So yeah, so I would say that's something that I picked up from. And also uh, how to be present on stage, but also when you're, you're speaking with people, you know, after the concerts. And th- that's something that, that I learned, especially during the, the workshops. Uh, it's just like, because in the workshops, he's talking a lot, a lot about being present in that moment and listening for the song of that moment, like, cause it's all improv. So yeah, when I'm, when I'm on stage, it's like, all right, how can I just learn just to relax, be present, look people in the eyes, really feel the space, feel what the music needs right now. And then after the concerts, it's like when we're, when we're meeting with people and we're meeting the different folks that come to the concert, it's like, how can I, you know, make sure that I'm present and really just like engaging with each person one at a time and giving my best in, in that. Then when it comes to the touring, I think the, the rhythm, you know, part is what I'm developing now, particularly for the touring schedule that's coming up, um, because it's, we're doing more touring now than we've ever done. Like we have tour dates booked all the way up until next year. And so I, I know that this, this is going to be a more extensive tour what we've done and so it's like what do I need to do to make sure that I'm prepared and that I'm that I have some stability within you know the the tour schedule so those are some things I'm I'm working on uh and then you know with married life too like Jocelyn and I have been talking a lot about finding even a rhythm there it's like okay so every couple weeks maybe you can meet us wherever we are and you know spend a, a few days on on the road with us and so we're going to be, you know, experimenting with a lot of that and just trying to figure out what's the best, you know, fit for us. And, but thank God for FaceTime and, <laughs> you know, because we can keep in touch right. you know, a lot that way. Have you heard or read The Miracle Morning? No, I haven't. So that book had a big impact on my life when I transitioned to working my business full time and motherhood, trying to create my own rhythm of how can I be a present mother and present in my business and not at the same time. So I can give my all to wherever I'm at. And it's all about how to create this miracle morning routine kind of before the world starts. So mm-hmm. each day, and it's a short read, Hal Elrod, but I'd, I'd recommend it if you're trying to kind of master that because he gets a little strategic with it, but you can really make it your own. And it's just about creating that routine and that sense of normalcy in your all in your morning. So really once your day gets started, you've already like conquered a big piece of it, you know, and you feel like you're rooted in your day. So that was really powerful. It sounds like something that might, might work well for you. I took that out. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you about something and I don't know where you're at on talking about it. So you can, you can decide, but you released this beautiful video of you sharing this really special gift with your father. Mm-hmm. And I'd love for you to talk about that. I don't think our listeners know too much about what's going on, but I know your dad's been a huge impact in your life. And this video that you released, girls, if you ever watch it, please don't put on makeup first because <laughs> it'll be running down to your knees by the end of the video. But can you talk to us a little bit about that from a place of most people not knowing what I'm referring to? Yeah. So my dad, uh, it was about like close to three years ago, was told that he had three years to live and because, um, because he has prostate for prostate cancer and it's spread all over his body. And so I, like right away, it, it definitely was very difficult to deal with. And I would have these moments where I would, you know, be sitting in a cafe and just think about it and just start weeping because my dad is, is one of my best friends. We still even now play basketball together pretty regularly and spend a lot of time together. And yeah. And so th- when, when he, when he shared that with me, I mean, it was very, very hard. And one of the ways that I've dealt with pain is through creativity. So there was one moment where I was on a retreat and they had a piano 
and I just sat down and I was just thinking about my dad and I was like, all right, let's just create and see what happens. So I sat and just started playing and, and I started noticing a song starting to develop. And so within, you know, a few days or so, I, ha I had the full song and I brought it back to the group. I told them about it and like they agreed to do it and because they love my dad as well. So once we had it recorded, we knew that we wanted to share it with him in a, a special way, in some way. Uh, we wanted to surprise him with it. And so we were coming with all kinds of different ideas about how to do that. And I remembered that my dad had said that he wanted to be able to share stories. Uh, like he, he was thinking about starting a YouTube channel uh, where he shares his stories. He has amazing, he's an amazing storyteller and he has incredible stories. And so I was like, oh, that, I think that there's a way in that way. Uh, where we would be able to share with him the song, you know, at the end of him talking about his story or like one of his stories or whatever. So uh, I called him and I was like, hey, dad, you know, I, I'd love for you to just come over and, you know, we could start that YouTube channel that you, you had talked about starting. And he's like, okay, awesome. And, and, and I was like, I'll interview you just to make it easier. And he's like, okay, great, great, great. And so this is like a week before Father's Day. And so he comes over and we set up everything. And, and then I start asking him questions about fatherhood and, you know, just like his experience of, you know, being a father and what it was like, even that first moment when he realized he was going to be a dad and, you know, the kinds of things that were going through his mind. And the conversation lasted for about 90 minutes. And at the, like the very last 15 minutes, we decided to, to or I, I changed the conversation towards his cancer diagnosis and, you know, asking him about like how that felt and, you know, what was going through his mind. And then, you know, we just, you know, talked as father and son. And then uh, at the very end, I told him that I had a surprise for him and I shared with him the song. So the song is, is called Superman. And the reason it's called Superman is because that was his, that's his nickname. Like we call him Superman for, for years because he's always felt invincible to us. And so I also wanted to remind him, you know, that he has the strength to last much longer than three years. And also within the song, you know, there, there are moments where I'm just telling him that it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel hurt and pain and that he doesn't have to be, you know, invincible right now. Like he can, he can feel the, you can feel a little bit of the pain and we're there with him and, and we love him. So yeah so beautiful and it was just so amazing seeing that bond between you guys in that video which i'll i'll link for everybody because i know they'll want to see that but just you giving him a gift but how apparent it was the gift he's given you as your father and how incredibly humbling it is to watch that relationship and see how strong it is and how it can withstand anything, even the toughest things. So I appreciate you sharing that with us and, you know, opening up that piece of you and that piece of your relationship with your father and of yourself and, and his vulnerability in that moment to all of us, because we all have something, you know, that's weighing heavy on our hearts. And to remember that we can, we are strong, but it doesn't mean that we can't <laughs> grieve or, or experience those emotions and work through them and that we have people surrounding us to lift us up through it. So, you know, you're, right. you're in my prayers, your dad's in my prayers. How's he doing? How's he's actually he, doing really well. He's like the you in fast forward. It's right, right? amazing <laughs> watching that video. <laughs> so, so yeah. great. He's doing well. He's doing really well. Yeah. Good. yeah. He recently joined the basketball league. Oh <laughs> How old is he? He's like 59. He'll be 60 this year. That's awesome. I care. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so great. So one thing that stood out to me about you, and this kind of goes along with how you just pour your heart out. Like you pour your heart into your music and it's so obvious. You pour your heart into your family and that's obvious, but you also pour your heart into other people that you might not even know. I mean, you talked about that year in Peru. I didn't realize you had worked in Calcutta with the Missionaries of Charity. I've done so much work over the years with the Missionaries of Charity. They're just 
some of my favorite people, those, those nuns, those sisters are, yeah. oh my gosh, like salt of the earth. So what do you see this impact you're making through music now and the impact you make through volunteering? Why is that such a big part of your life? So, I mean, Stonehill was, was pretty influential for me. I mean, that's when I started getting involved in volunteering in a number of the programs that they had there. And, and, and I first went to Honduras too mm-hmm. through Stonehill. And I think, you know, while I was in college, I, I did a lot of reading, you know, and reflecting about just meaning, you know, and, and my own purpose. And, you know, I thought a lot about, you know, the gifts that I have and what I have to offer the world. So I would say that those years, particularly in college, kind of pointed my life in a particular direction. And so even though I've been all over the place, (laughs) you know, in terms of, you know, like where I've worked and where I've had experiences, it's all been focused, you know, at least I I try to make it focused in that direction. I don't always get it right. You know, I'm doing my best, but towards helping people that's what I want to do is, is just help. And sometimes I, cause I think I'm a big picture person too, which I think makes it a little bit more difficult with doing things like just washing the dishes or <laughs> like just everyday stuff. But like, yeah. but I, you know, I think deep down, it's like, I just want to help. And I would say that the experiences that I had in Honduras and um, in Calcutta and in Peru um, as well as, you know, even some, some places within the Boston area, those have all shaped me and have informed the way that I am a musician. So now that I'm like, you know, professionally, I'm an artist, like a musician. But I think it, it's, it's beyond that, though. It's like there's so many more influences that are in there that come out. I hope they come out through the music and through the way that, um, I try to treat people. So, yeah. So I, I think, I mean, even the way that we set up the show, and I, I would say that it, it's, it's common even within like the members of the group, like we all, I think that that's part of the reason why we get along so well um, because, you know, we, we want to do something good with our lives. And even if it's like helping someone deal with stress for even just some, like the moment of the concert, like that's good. You know, that that's a victory for us. Um, it doesn't have to be something that's, life transforming or whatever it can just be as simple like i felt joy when you said this or i felt a sense of peace when i heard that song or that melody you know just any way that people can grab what they need from what we do and that that makes me happy that that makes the group happy too yeah you can see it in your show i mean we went to your christmas show at stonehill was that like maybe two years ago back out east and how you guys had that moment where we could go put an ornament on the Christmas tree that was up on the stage for someone that wasn't able to be there with us. And just that outward mindset of focusing on other people and really looking to bring joy to other people, whether it be through your music or through your ability to be truly present with each person that you're talking to after the show or anything to make that impact. So, you know, maybe it is going to Calcutta for someone and and maybe it's right there in their own hometown of just smiling at the person at the cash register and making them feel noticed that day, you know, and you have a gift for that and we're, we're better off because of it. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So I have to ask you, cause I have a favorite, but what is your favorite song that you sing? Somewhere only we know. Is it? Yes. You're not, you're not sick of singing it. I'm not sick of singing it. No, well, I'm not sick of hearing it. <laughs> and I'll tell you this too, because there was, there's a quote that I read that I think speaks to why I love that song so much. Mark Twain said that, that the two most important days of our life is the day that you're born and the day that you find out why. Yes. And for me, that day on that stage in front of the America's Got Talent judges and in front of all those people, singing that song um, was the day that I feel like I found out why. And so that, I would say, is a big part of the reason why I love that song so much. So, I think you're right. <laughs> How much can I put you on the spot right now? Oh, yeah, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Would you sing a little clip from that? 
Okay. All right. No, no microphone. No. Right. I don't know how this stuff works. I'm not in the music space. Is this like taboo to no, sing fine. on a podcast? That's fine. <laughs> If you guys could, sound through if this, you guys could see Micah, he's blushing right now, <laughs> but he still has a smile on. All right. I walked across an empty land. I knew the pathway like the back of my head. I felt the earth beneath my feet. Sat by a river and it made me complete. Oh, simple thing, where have you gone? I'm getting tired and I need someone to rely on. So tell me when you're gonna let me in. I'm getting old and I need somewhere to begin. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm glad I put you on the spot because I have goosebumps. Oh. And I, um, you, like, how do you nail that on, like, a Mac speaker or whatever you're talking <laughs> on? You didn't even check, like, what, no- you didn't even use one of those little things to check the note. <laughs> that was so beautiful. Thank, thank you. you. No, thank you. That that was incredible. Michael's going to be very jealous. He wasn't in the room for that, but you <laughs> can catch the recording. <laughs> I um no, that I don't know. Your 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 music moves me every time I hear it and I am so exceptionally grateful for you for what you're doing in the world, for the impact you're making, for the courage that you've had to work through so many of those things to get to this place and for reminding all of us that it doesn't happen overnight but it, it happens when you have faith and when you keep moving forward and when you put other people first, you know, the interests of other people. So you're such an inspiration to me. And I know that our listeners are going, their hearts are just going to open up to you and in the group and everything. So I'm just so exceptionally thankful. Oh, thank you, Liz. And I really appreciate you having me on. Oh, you're welcome back anytime. You can sing All for right. us anytime. <laughs> oh, and by the way, my favorite, Sign Seal Delivered. Oh, nice. Yeah. Love it. Love it. They can, they, I won't make you sing another one. They can go check that one out online. Awesome. Well, There's one quote, too, that I think you, I think you might appreciate. I will, um, I'm sure. So it's by a, a theologian named Howard Thurman. And uh, he was the first dean of the chapel, uh, the first black dean of the chapel at BU, at Boston University. And he said, he said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive, because what the world needs is people who have come alive. So just a thought. (laughs) A big thought. I can't agree more than that. I think that's so poignant and so true. And you're you're a shining example of it. Thank you, Liz. (laughs) Thank you for coming on, Micah. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Before you go, make sure you take a minute to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on all of those amazing frommies, freebies for my homies, obviously, and content that we're creating just for you. And if you like today's episode, can you help us out and help us get this in the hands of more people by taking a screenshot of today's episode and sharing it with your friends, tagging me, passing it around on social media. Guys, we've got to get this mission and this movement out there to more people so that They are living their purpose and living out their dreams and getting paid for it well too. I'm also so thankful for all the amazing feedback we've been getting in the reviews. So if this podcast is helping you grow, take a second and go review us on iTunes and be sure to check out today's show notes for more details and takeaways from the show. Until next week, guys, keep scaling up.